we've gathered and had opportunity to sing worship together. Just a question as, as we were worshiping, I was thinking about some of the words to the song and we sang, you are an amazing God. What makes our God amazing this morning? As you're sitting here, what makes our God amazing? Okay, that he loves us. What else? Comfort, power, what powerful, what else? Grace, forgiveness, faithfulness, created everything. I think sometimes we can just disconnect and not think about, you know, really what we're singing in the words and, or just because life has been crazy. Anybody had a crazy week? And you gather, and I was uh, talking with somebody, you gather on a Sunday morning, and sometimes Sunday, is, as you gather in a church service, is kind of like the only time that you get to sit still for like a whole, you know, 45 minutes or an hour, you're not running somewhere. Uh, and so this morning, as you've gathered together with us, I think it's just good for you to remind yourself of your God. I think it's good to take your Bible and go to the book of Joel, is where I'm going to be this morning, and um, been studying the book of Joel, looking back through the book of Joel. Uh, It's been interesting. It's fun for me to go back over some of the Old Testament uh, passages of Scripture just to remind myself of different things that, you know, um, as I study and as I read and think through stuff that I haven't thought about in in quite a while, actually. Um, The book of Joel, as you think about the the book of Joel, this phrase pops up, the day of the Lord. And so as you go through the book of Joel, you're going to have to deal with this whole concept with the day of the Lord. And uh, one thing that's interesting as I I read through and go through uh, the book of Joel, uh, there's only one time that Joel will make any concept or any uh, terminology of of a negative thing as far as the nation of Israel is concerned. Uh, He's going to say to them, wake up, old drunkard. That's going to be one little phrase you'll read in there. But this book, as I look through this book, this book really, when you think about the day of the Lord, and most of us, when we think about the day of the Lord, we're thinking judgment. We're thinking, man, you're going to pay for what you did. And there is going to be a time frame, as, and you'll, you can study through this, and, and we could spend weeks and months and hours uh, just on our you know, eschatological view of different things. And when do we think the day of the Lord is actually going to take place? Has it taken place? And we can go round and round in circles about that. And I'm, I would love to talk with you about it, but I'm not going to argue with you. Um, I've got my opinions, and I'm not really willing to take a bullet for everything that my thought process is concerned. But I, Because I think a lot of times we get distracted in those things, and we miss the concept of the day of the Lord. As you go through the book of Joel, you have to deal with the concept called natural disasters. You have to deal with God sending things your way and not because it's sin. Most of us, when something bad happens, we start looking around saying, okay, what did I do wrong? What am I getting in trouble for this time? God, really, am I getting punished? What is this? And God has a tendency to send natural disasters to wake people up. And not just things that are just you know, kind of just ordinary things. Things 
that you can't explain. Things that you're going to go tell your children and your grandchildren for years to come about this natural disaster. I remember a time in Indiana, and uh, I only really remember two big things when it comes to, to natural stuff as far as God sending things our way. I remember once as a kid, uh, we had a blizzard. And I was just a little tiger, and, um, and it snowed, and it snowed, and it snowed, and it snowed, and we had snow everywhere. And back in those days, we didn't have a snowmobile. And so, but we had a Cub Cadet garden tractor uh, that had a blade on the front of it, and that's how you push the snow. And we worked and worked and worked to get our driveway out clean. Um, and it wasn't maybe 30 minutes, and the snowplow came and just buried us right back in. And we started all over again. Fun memories. I love the snow. I love just, you know, plowing snow. I told Rachel the other day when I was in Screen Lake, I said, you know, when I retire one day, I think I'm going to move to Screen Lake, and I want to be on the snowplow crew. I want to be the guy that drives the truck and just pushes snow around. She just laughs at me. So I remember that as, a, as a, you know, kind of like a, not really a disaster, but a big, a big thing. And then I remember um, we played baseball and at Lehman Park, and uh, a tornado came through, but it didn't touch down as far as anywhere significant. Nobody got injured, but it touched down in Lehman Park, and so huge trees... And I remember walking through Lehman Park, and, and I know you hear people tell stories of this, but literally, the tornado put, took a piece of straw and stuck it in the tree. And it's like, how do you take straw and you stick it into a tree? And natural disasters. One last, one, one last story of nature. My dad and, and I and our, our family, we were part of a church in, in Indiana called Grace Bible Church. And um, my youth pastor loved to do mission stuff. And so I went to Puerto Rico. Uh, we went to Africa. We went to Mexico. We went to New Hampshire, all just doing ministry stuff. And uh, when we were on our way to Mexico, I'm sure I've told you this story before, but it's a vivid memory in my mind. And I'll explain to you why I'm telling you this in just a second. We're on our way to Mexico, and we're in a school bus, and my dad's driving, and we stop off in this place, and we're going to sing. All of our stuff that we did with uh, Jim LaFever was ministry stuff. We preached. We did drama. Uh, we had a choir. We did all that. And so at this point, we had stopped, and we're going to sing. And I'm standing next to my dad, and we don't really – we can sing, but we don't really sing, if that makes sense. And so I'm standing next to Dad, and, and we're listening to the people around us. And we, we don't sing real loud, but we're trying to stay on the part that we're supposed to be on. And we're kind of smiling at each other. And I leaned over to Dad and said, well – this is really going to be a short concert. And it's going to be a short gospel message. He said, why? He said, don't you see this, the clouds over there? It's going to rain. And I'll never forget my father's words. He leaned back over me and said, it's not going to rain until we preach the gospel. You know what? It didn't rain. Until we preached the gospel, we got all of our speakers away, and it rained. And those are things that I can tell my children, my grandchildren. And so you're at the book of Job, and if you look at verse 1, you're going to see the day of the Lord. And you're going to see uh, two things. You're going to see desolation, and you're going to see deliverance. When you go through the book of Job, you're going to see those two things. You're going to see God bring things in to the nation of Israel. Look in, in, in chapter 1, verse uh, 2. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all of you who live in the land. 
Has anything like this ever happened in your days or in the days of your forefathers? And what he's going to describe is in this, in this desolation, he's going to describe the locusts. And they are going to come into the land. And, and this isn't like if, you, if you're an Old Testament scholar, you'll remember back to when Moses and one of the plagues was locusts. This is not judgment. Back there, as you look at, at that one, you would see God's judgment. This, pl- this uh, plague of locusts stands alone as being different from any form of plague that had ever taken place. The plague of locusts in the land of Egypt at the time of Moses was a miraculous plague. It was a judgment of God. However, this plague was what we would call a natural event. James Vernon McGee. God is going to send locusts to destroy the land to remind Israel of his power. And he wasn't going to just send a little thunderstorm or a little earthquake. He was going to send something so that generations for years to come would know the story. Hey, by the way, God... We're reminded of God's power. How would, you, well, how would you describe it? Well, they would describe it as locusts. I would describe it for me as I would share with my family the story when I was on the way to Mexico. When I knew it was going to rain, and God said, no, it's not going to rain until we share the gospel. I would say it as when I was at Layman Park, and I walked around Layman Park, and I saw straw stuck in trees. That was a natural disaster. I would describe it when I was a kid plowing out snow with a cup cadet tractor. That God wanted to demonstrate His power to me, even though I was a little tiger, that He could send a lot of snow. And so as you look through this book of Joel, you will see desolation. Look at verse 3. Tell to your children and let your children tell to their children and to their children and to the next generation what the locust swarm has left. The great locusts have eaten. What the great locusts have left, the young locusts have eaten. What the young locusts have left, other locusts have eaten. Wake up, here's that one phrase, you drunkards, and weep. Wail, all of you drinkers of wine. Wail because of the new wine, for it has been snatched from your lips. As you look at the book of Joel, and you think about the day of the Lord, and you think about desolation, This desolation affected everybody. It affected the elders, all who live. The locusts came with total destruction. Destruction that was so great that those dads would go on for years to come to remind their sons and daughters of the power of their God. And I think over the years, you and I have seen God used nature to remind us of His power. We live in a wonderful place called Florida. We live in a wonderful county called Highlands County. We live here because we live right. I live here because God brought us here. It's kind of nice being in the center of the state. And so when they start talking about hurricanes, we don't really think a whole lot about it. I don't know if you've noticed, but we've had a ton of rain this summer. Was that rain just by accident? Was that rain just for our inconvenience? 
Or is that rain just to remind us, by the way, I'm powerful. By the way, I control nature. By the way, I want you to know that I will use natural disasters to get your attention. I will use those things to demonstrate my power. And God has used over the years of history a demonstration of his power in amazing ways. And so this morning, as you are here, at times when desolation comes into our lives, this is what we do. This is how we respond. When God sends things into our world, so to speak, as God would say, and I'm sure, can you imagine in the book of Joel, really? Where, there's no McDonald's, there's no Hungry Howie's, there is no buffet places. Where are you going to eat now? Where are you going to take it? What are you going to have anything to sacrifice to your God? You don't have anything left. The locusts have eaten it all. So your world went from being very convenient in, in that day and age. They didn't have microwaves, they didn't have ovens. They didn't have TV dinners. Well, so by the way, you know, I just, I'm just going to slap in um, Salisbury steak and mashed potatoes and I'll come back in 30 minutes and I'll eat it. How many of you have Salisbury steak and mashed potatoes in your freezer right now? TV dinners. One. Wow, y'all are very honest. You don't like those. Oh, okay. So God was going to, to do something that would totally get their attention. For them to stop and say, now wait a minute. One of two things was going to happen. They were going to get aggravated at God, or they were going to be reminded of God's power. And most of the time, when God sends these things into our world to say, hold on a second, I want to remind you, this is how we respond. Instead of stepping back and saying, wait a second, that's my God. Wow, this has been awesome. All the rain is just a, a demonstration. Yeah, it's been an inconvenience. And it's been weird. Our backyard is totally sugar sand. It was flooded. Flooded. I could take one shovel scoop and I'd be in water. When we put our septic tank in and drain fill, I could dig feet down and not even get to water. Not this summer. One shovel full. And so this morning as you see this, there will be reactions to this desolation. There's going to be a response. And if you go through the text, Joel has a desire for their response. Joel has a way that he would like to encourage their response. Look at verse uh, 13. Put on your sackcloth, O priest, and mourn. Wail those who minister before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offering and the drink offering are withheld from the houses of our God. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Summon the elders of all those who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. How would we respond? Joel saying to them, hey, this is an opportunity For you to spend some time fasting. And that doesn't always mean food. 
One of the things that we are going to do in January is have 21 days of prayer and fasting. Spent time with a couple pastors this week. Uh, Matt at First Baptist, Dustin at Grace Bible, Steve at Whispering Pines, Tito at Family uh, Church, and George uh, was not with us, but he's part of this, Avon Park Lakes Baptist Church. All of us are going to gather for 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I'm not really going to ask you to give up necessarily food. Some of you all need to fast from Facebook. Because I know way too much of your stuff is going on in your life when I just click on my little thing and I know everything about you. And so maybe one of our responses is when God sends something to demonstrate His power, so just say, hold on a second, maybe I need to fast. Maybe we need, we need to gather as a public group of people and just say, you know what, Lord, maybe we just need to ask for forgiveness. Maybe we need to stop and show ourselves in humility. Maybe we need to stop and say, God, I need to seek your help. Maybe we need to spend some time asking God for guidance. Guidance. Maybe there needs to be a time where that we show something outwardly other than our disgust. Maybe it's time for us to receive the help that we need. So as God has allowed the locusts to enter into the nation of Israel's life, and God has sent desolation to these people, He just didn't do it just for the fun of it. He had a purpose. And those people that were facing the difficult times of those days, they had to respond. And I realize as you you go through uh, the book of Job, it it will show us some prophecy in chapter 2 of things that are to come. You will see the picture of the day of the Lord. As you go through uh, chapter 2, blow your trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on my holy hill, let all who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is close to being at hand. I am, um, I am very well aware of the future, and I am aware of the promise that God gave to David. And I am aware that, that one day war will cease. And peace will be on this earth. And there will be a time that all men will bow before Him. And what's interesting as I was studying, I hadn't really thought about this concept until I was reading through some of uh, the commentaries that I was using. And and, uh, James Vernon McGee, uh, which those are are really old commentaries. Uh, They're paperback commentaries. Uh, that I got from one SIM missionary that was in, in their library. They brought it to the church one day, and I was just getting involved in ministry, and I said, you know, I'm just going to scarf those things up. So I've taken them to Africa. I've taken, brought them back. They're in my, in my closet now, and I use them often. And I, don't, I need to go look and see exactly when James Vernon McGee wrote those, those commentaries. Um, I don't know the exact date when he wrote it, but back then they were talking about humanism. And how that men thought they could handle everything. And it's interesting that there's almost the concept 
in, in our lives that we can do everything. But you know that's one thing that's interesting? You can't control nature. As clever as men are, and as amazing of things that have come over the years, the different types of surgery, the different types of open-heart surgery, you realize now that you can replace a valve and you don't even have to have your chest opened all the way up? That if you're lucky enough, if your vein is big enough in your arm, they can do a heart cath through your arm now. I was talking to somebody else that had back surgery with a laser, and they didn't even cut their skin, but they cut the nerve underneath the skin. Now, how do you do that? That's like Star Trek weird stuff, you know, just push buttons, fixed, you know, I don't know. Man's pretty clever. You can't stop a hurricane. You can't stop an earthquake. You can't stop a thunderstorm. And it was like God wanted these people to know all the way back in the book of Joel. Hey, by the way, I'm bigger than you are. I don't care what you accomplish. I don't care where you go. There are things that I'm in charge of that you're not in charge of. And you will never be in charge of. And he does those things, I think, so that we stop and say, whoa, hold on a second. Were you at the thunderstorm on Monday night? Did your house light up like my house lit up? Did your water heater get hot water heater get affected like mine? Did you see like somebody was driving their car and just parking outside of your windows? And it was because of the lightning? Did your foundation shake when the thunder rang? Mine did. I felt it. It was weird. It was awesome. It was my father demonstrating his power to me. Just as a reminder. Just saying to me, by the way, no matter what's going on in your life, I've got this. And so this morning as you've, you've gathered, it's amazing to me then just to think about, um, oh, this is one other just neat little slide. Before I tell you what happened, Mom, remember, the Lord will never give you more than you can handle. Uh, I thought that was... <laughs> pretty interesting. I wish I would have had that when I was a kid. I could have said that to my parents. But um, so before I before I move on to this deliverance, I just a couple of things. That, you know, as you go as you continue on, and I realize uh, this is kind of a, a big overview, and I'm moving kind of fast, but it's just it's also part of time. Uh, there's that as you look at chapter two, one through eleven, you see that Jesus will be the supreme ruler. No matter what you believe about end times, no matter if you're a post-trib, mid-trib, pre-trib, whatever you believe, there's going to be a day He will rule. There is nobody bigger than Him. There will be a time that every knee will bow. There will be a time that there will be no more pain. It's coming. Do I know when? No, I don't know when. But I know that the day of the Lord will come. I also know that as I think about the Lord, I am reminded that He encourages my heart to return to Him. Chapter 2, 12 through 27. You can return to Him. He encourages you to return to Him with all your heart. Why would I want to return to Him? Because He's the God of grace. 
He's a God of compassion. He's a God that's slow to anger. He's a God that is abounding in love. Look at verse 13 of chapter 2. Render your hearts. Rend your hearts and your garments. Return, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. I don't know what's going on in your heart this morning. I would just say to you, return to the Lord. Return to his grace, his compassion, and be reminded that he is slow to anger. Also, as we talk about the destruction, there is deliverance. You pick it up in chapter 2 and verse 18. Then the Lord will be jealous for his land and take pity on his people. Then the Lord will reply to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, and oil, enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I make you an object of scorn to the nations. Never again. I am sending these things to you. And as you read through um, Joel chapter 2, go all the way over to chapter 2, verse 32. And whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the survivors whom the Lord calls. See, Joel could have said a lot of different things, but as he thinks your way through this deliverance, God restores His people. I want you to think about that. Because where would you be today if God didn't restore you? Where would you be today if you did not call out to Him? Whoever calls on His name. So if you never called on the name of the Lord, where would you be right now? Think about it. Because you have called on the Lord, Think about the restoration process He's done into your life up to this point. And where He will take you beyond this point. One of the most exciting things is watching college students is them leave. Because when they're here, I'm sure none of you ever had this problem, but when you were, when you were about 18 or 19, you had it all pretty figured out, didn't you? One of my most favorite phone calls and listening to Rachel after her first year was these words. Dad, I was a really messed up sinner. To watch God do a work in her life for her to recognize that she didn't have it all together was awesome. And then to watch 
God restore her. Watch God do things in her life that as a dad, I didn't even know. And to watch God restore you after He sends these things into your world that rock you to your foundation. Oh, I realize that most likely locusts aren't going to show up in Highlands County. I got that. But there'll be some other things. And there will be things that He will specifically send your way. Maybe not my way, but your way. Because He wants to do a restoration work in your life. But He has to get you to the place where you say, I need help. I surrender. I quit. I give up. It's too big for me. I'm totally dependent on you. Until you call, restoration can't take place. Until we humble ourselves and say, oh wait, I I can't do this anymore. Then, when we get to those places, then God begins His work. In chapter 2 and in verse 28, afterwards, Joel says these words, afterwards and afterwards, I will pour out my spirit on all my people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will, will dream dreams. The young men will see visions. Even on servants, both men and women, I'll pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and, and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned in darkness and the moon to be blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and everyone who calls. You know where, who read this and when they read it? It was a fisherman. A fisherman that denied him three times. And in the book of Acts, he quotes from Joel. And God has sent His Spirit to you and I to do a restoration work inside of us to all people. And in saying that, I also know that there will be a time of judgment. And I'm not going to jump up and down and go crazy on that. But I'm looking forward to chapter 3 and verse 18. And in that day, the mountains will drip with new wine, and the hills will flow with milk, and the ravens of Judah will run with water, and the fountains will flow out of the Lord's house, and the water of the valleys. But Egypt will be desolate, Edom a desert valley waste, because of the violence done to those, to the people of Judah. There will be a day that Israel will be supreme. And that all the injustice that has taken place over all these years, God will set that straight. And so this morning, as we wrap up our time together, it's really just two words. Desolation and deliverance. The day of the Lord. And so this morning, as you enter into a new week. And none of us know what this week will hold. I want you to know that he just might send a natural disaster your way to get your attention to remind you of his power.
And he wants you to know this morning that deliverance only comes through one place. Through one person. His name is Jesus. And that only comes to those who call. That only comes to those who stop and realize, you know what? I need some help. To those who remind or are, are made aware that they're stuck. They can't go anywhere without Him. And those people have to make a decision. Will you help me? I don't know much about four-wheel drives. I don't know much about mud. I have learned that when I got stuck, even if I did put it in four-wheel drive, did not mean that I was going to get out. But what I found was, is when I called somebody, they brought this thing that they call a snatch strap, and they hook it to their vehicle, and they snatched me out of the sand. But nobody snatched me until I asked for help. Nobody snatched me until I realized that there was no way, no matter how hard I pushed, no matter what my plan was, that vehicle was going nowhere. So this morning, as I leave you with one verse, I was reminded this morning as I was reading a little devotional, and this is my prayer for you. It's a little verse in the book of Romans. It's a verse that you probably, once I start reading it, you know what it is. But it's a verse that takes some, some work and some time and some energy and some effort. And it's Romans chapter 12 and it's verse 2. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to, to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And you ask yourself, why are you reading that verse? Because I want you to be transformed by your mind, by the renewing of your mind, that when the Lord sends natural disasters to your life, you know enough truth to survive. Because what I've learned over the years, natural disasters always come my way. And I'm learning through conforming to His will how to respond and I don't want to keep having that face of that kid saying, Oh, really, Lord? I want to be trained. I want to be transformed on the inside saying, Okay, God, work. God, I trust you. God, I run to you. I want you to pray with me this morning. Father, thank you for some time in a Bible. Thank you for for preserving it for all these years. Thank you that we can be sitting here and have our own. And thank you for the book of Joel. And thank you for sending disasters. Thank you that you created a locust that came and ate all of their stuff. So they would have to learn how to respond to a God that sends difficult things their way. Things that didn't make sense. Things that weren't fair. Thank you that you're a God that's powerful enough to send things our way to get our attention. And so, Father, as we've just looked through this book very briefly, but, Father, as we see the desolation, may we see you. 
as we see the deliverance in our lives, may we give you the credit. Father, may we be a family that is truly transforming our minds so that when things happen, we will trust you, we will run to you, we will cling to you. I don't know what's going on in your life, but I'm pretty sure all of you have natural disasters. Stuff, things, events. Some of you might even be stuck in your life. I know someone who can help you. But you have to call. I know someone that can help carry the load. But you have to call. His name is Jesus. So Jesus, as you look at our family, you know the ones that need to call. So Jesus, make their lives miserable until they make the call. Show yourself strong until they call. Jesus, you know the ones in our family that need encouragement tonight, today. Encourage them in the inside by transforming their minds as they go through the natural disaster. Father, thank you for not leaving us as orphans, not abandoning us, but giving us truth so that we can navigate life based on truth, not feelings and emotions, but truth. If you're here this morning and you'd like to pray with somebody, Bob's at the back or What's Next Ministry, would love to spend some time just praying with you. You go out the back of the sanctuary, second door on the left, they're there for you, whatever it might be. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for truth. May you encourage our lives and fill our lives with truth. In your name I pray. Amen.